Hey guys, I'm Pete. And I'm Alex. And you're listening to the Kick Push Pivot Podcast. I'm a former Fortune 500 consultant dedicated to the idea of innovation and growth. And I used to manage marketing tours for the Rolling Stones, focused on creating one-of-a-kind customer experiences. On this podcast, we interview people faced with the decision to kickstart innovation, push through doubt, or pivot to something new. We hope you find something inspiring or encouraging as you listen. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Kick, Push, Pivot. Today, we have an, we have an amazing story and a, an amazing guest with Angelique from Ngozi, a nonprofit that works in Liberia. So looking forward to having you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here and talk more about Ngozi and my journey as a business development manager. Fantastic. Awesome. Very good. And of course, I have Alex here, my co-host. Alex, how's it going? Hello, everybody. So uh, let's dive right in. You have probably one of the most, I think, interesting stories that we've heard for a long time on our podcast. So let's start out with kind of your background. You know, where'd you grow up? Where'd you come from? And, um, you know, how did you find that journey or that path to connecting with the nonprofit in Gozi? Yeah. So I grew up in Napa, Napa, California. It was good to be back home. Um, I kind of stay local after college, and I feel like that's kind of where my journey as an athlete, a business person, an entrepreneur, that's where it all started. So at Sonoma State, there was uh, the opportunity to be a part of the track team. And to my surprise, when I actually arrived, there was no track team at all. Uh, There was just a track club and there was a cross country team. So that's where my biggest challenge started, figuring out how I can get to be a part of an actual track team and I can be able to compete. Um, And if there wasn't a track team, why did you end up going to Sonoma State? Yeah, so I was actually under the impression that there was a track team. I talked to the coaches, the athletic Mm. director, everything, but they had actually misinterpreted what I meant. And for some reason, everybody was thinking I wanted to join the track club and I was going to school to be a part of the club team. So that's actually where the confusion was and why I ended up at that school. Wow. A surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm something I'm sure every high school athlete can identify with is having a dream and then uh, getting surprised along the way with something they didn't expect. But uh, growing up in Napa must have been interesting for you because um, I know we've mentioned you're quite close with your family. And uh, Napa's, you know, back in the day was a pretty small, small town. So what was it like growing up uh, in, in, in that part of the, in that part of the country, of the state? Yeah. So growing up in Napa, actually, I was a standout. I feel like not only because of my athletic ability, but also because um, I was one of three black students in my graduating class. So mm. I definitely think that growing up, both of my parents were born in different countries. There was a lot of pressure to have a successful career, to have it all figured out and to be a great athlete. So I definitely think that that pressure is what set me up to be where I am today. So I just have always had to adjust. And when something's not like where I want it to be, I need to figure it out. So I feel like even in the situation of the Sonoma State track team, I had to figure it out and figure out what was the best decision for me and how I could move forward. Well, and Sonoma is pretty close to Napa too, right? So I'm sure that, you know, the closeness to your family probably played some role in why you went to Sonoma. Is that correct? Yeah. 
that definitely that and along with being that my family's really tight knit. Uh, my mom actually wasn't really into the idea of me leaving the state, much less uh, the country, uh, to either study abroad, definitely not my freshman year of college, uh, to start somewhere. So, yeah. So tell us about how the track team at Sonoma State came about, because I, I hear you had uh, a, a played a big role in that. Yeah, so... When I found out that there was no track team, I ended up working in the athletic department. I wanted to, I honestly was determined to figure it out because if there was a cross country team, there's no reason why, even if it was just uh, during the track season, because the cross country team actually competed in track meets. So I, I didn't understand why I couldn't just tag along. So I was determined to figure it out. And I started my freshman year, I was writing a paper, I was working in the athletic department, and I was just kind of studying and learning like what's going on and how can I insert myself. And that's when I learned about Title IX. So not only were there enough females on campus for us to add an additional sport, but Sonoma State was getting million dollar donations to the athletic department and to various sports. So I knew it was something that we could make happen. So between my research paper, talking about Title IX, talking about the track of sport, talking about how women even made their way into the sport to begin with, um, I had the opportunity to present that paper. My research, I put together a slideshow, and I was just going to the athletic department every week. I was calling. I was demanding a meeting with that athletic director, and at the end, he actually was willing to meet with me and I wasn't sure if anything was going to happen with that. And it wasn't until uh, the summer of my freshman year when I received a call from the head coach of the cross country team that they were bringing a track team and they were willing to offer me a scholarship. And they wanted me, be, wanted me to be a part of that journey. That's a pretty incredible story. You sound like you're, you're very driven <laughs> Definitely. to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I actually feel kind of sorry for the, uh, athletic director at Sonoma State, because I don't think he had a chance, really. <laughs> he didn't have a chance to say no. no I was not taking no for an answer. That's amazing. Well, and it wasn't even just like you walked onto the team and earned a scholarship. You essentially created the team and then created your own scholarship, which is uh, not a story that I've heard before in sports. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think... Um, as someone that, you know, doing what you're doing now in this nonprofit space, in some ways, you're ideally suited for that, given totally. your scrappiness, your ability to create something out of nothing, really, with just your own blood, sweat, and tears. So tell us how you got connected to Ngozi and, and what the mission and vision for the nonprofit is. Yeah, definitely. So after leaving Sonoma State, I actually went to USC for grad school, and that's kind of where I feel my business skills and even... I feel like some of the skills that I embody today in my position here in Ngozi came from. So uh, networking, pitching, communicating, building teams, getting stuff done. I feel like a lot of that uh, business mentality is just like getting stuff done. And I did a lot of startup work uh, throughout my time in grad school. So I feel like a lot of those characteristics I have to transfer over here. So as I was doing grad school, I was also doing a lot of freelance work. And um, Inez, the founder of Ngozi, is actually my aunt. I noticed that she was actually getting bigger and more serious with this passion project of hers. And she registered it as a nonprofit. 
And so now she has a 501c3 and she's getting ready to have her first annual gala. And that's where I found the opportunity. I volunteered myself to do the marketing collateral. And so it was a way to make money and kind of get myself through grad school, but it was another way for me to give back. She's building schools in Liberia. And as both my mom and my aunt were born in Liberia, I thought that it was a great way for one, for one for me to connect with my roots and two for me to give uh, to the very, I feel like education has been a pillar in my family. My aunt got to the position that she's in today because of her education. I feel like because of my education and my journey, I'm really in this position to even give back and to help out. So that's where awesome. it all started. Can you maybe tell the viewers just a little bit about what exactly Ngozi is? Kind of, uh, you know, what, what you guys do at Ngozi? Yeah, so uh, initially Ngozi started by partnering with a nonprofit and we helped them build a school. And after that, that's kind of when it went from being a passion project to being something that we took more seriously. And a school so, in Liberia, right? Yeah, in Liberia. Okay. And so Ngozi is actually derived from Igbo, which is Nigerian dialect, and it means blessings. And so our mission is to provide the blessings of educational healthcare needs to children. So I know we talk about the school and building the school, but it's much more than that. We want to provide a technology center. And then we also want to provide a medical clinic. So uh, the medical clinic will actually be accessible to the students and their families. So uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned this before, but um, as my aunt was leaving Liberia, her and my mom, they were coming to the U.S., a war started in Liberia. And so that war has significantly impacted the ability that the children there have had to study, to go to school, even making it to school, having access to education teachers. And so a lot of students don't have that. So as we've built one school with another foundation, when embarking on a new journey of providing education, technology, because we really feel like if we can provide those tools to those same students, that they can have the same opportunities that other people have around the world. Amazing. Amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's just, it's so hard for people in America, I think, to realize the opportunities that people are missing overseas. So I love the fact that Ngozi brings that to people's attention, but then provides a vehicle for people to actually make a change or to contribute to a cause like that. So it's really kind of amazing. So can you share a little more about what Ngozi does here in the States? Obviously raising awareness. Um, You guys do some events. Yeah. What, are, what are some other things you can share about how you guys connect the dots between um, Liberia here in the United States? Yeah, definitely. So I would say our two vehicles would be our board. I think that nothing happens without the board. So a lot of the efforts that we make today are because of them. And then our annual gala. So we're actually preparing for our third annual gala. And what we do at these events is that we bring the culture of Liberia and we bring videos from the schools, the students, sound bits, and we kind of put it together. And we want them to get an experience of one, the culture, and two, understanding where their money is going and the cause that they're helping. So they actually get to, I think the most interesting part would be the African dance troupe. So it's a West African group and they have a drummer circle and they dance and they have traditional costumes. It's, it's definitely a sight to see. Awesome. And those galas, I'm sure there's got to be some 
some uh, issues that you guys have to work through and some uh, some difficulties with getting the funding and things like that. Maybe you can speak to some of the challenges that you guys face, um, you know, raising those funds and, and helping the people in Liberia. Yeah, definitely. I would say the biggest challenge so far, especially with me being new to this role, is COVID. So even as we're planning this gala, there's so much uncertainty behind what will happen in the next couple of months. And for all we know, we may have to make this a fully online experience. So I would say that's definitely really hard. But aside from that, um, I definitely feel like the awareness, because we're so new, so many people don't know what we're doing. They, a lot of people don't even know about the wars that happened in Liberia. So I think a big part of that is educating people and really letting them know, one, what our mission is, two, how even a donation of $10 or something so small can literally be a meal for a student for a week. And so as we're doing that, some challenges that we're facing is trying to figure out how to transport some of the, um, the items that we want to donate. So we one of the board members had a book drive and they drummed up hundreds of books. Like a whole corner of an office was filled with just books. But now it's like, okay, we're going to have to ship them. So just kind of figuring out the logistics of some things and figuring out how we can better serve the community. So one change we've decided to make is actually having the desks made in Liberia because not only are the, is wow. easier to transport, but we're actually supporting the businesses surrounding the schools. I love that. So having the actual school desks that school kids in Liberia sit at and learn from made by local craftsmen. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, Donating and also providing jobs. So no big deal. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So are there any other challenges that, you know, even through the process of standing up your nonprofit that you've encountered? Because I know even before um, you officially started at Ngozi. You were always always involved when kind of the conceptualization and the marketing and some of the ideas behind it. So, okay, I you know I started a nonprofit myself a long time ago, and just the amount of sheer energy and effort that goes into something like this, the detail, not to mention the obstacles of countries and visas and shipping and awareness. Can you share a little more? Um, uh, maybe one or two stories about one, one of the one or two big things that popped up along the way that you had to push through? Yeah, definitely. So I would say the biggest thing is that although I do have this business background, I this is my first time being in a non, the nonprofit sector. So it's really cool to be exposed to all these um, new challenges, I would say. But I feel like the biggest thing is just coming in and being the only employee is figuring out how to navigate these waters. So having to learn how to put together a gala when I've never even set up an event before is <laughs> something huge and something that I've never faced. But I honestly think it's rewarding. Uh, I am running around like crazy trying to get this together and trying to make sure that it's the best event I could possibly, possibly put together. But I definitely would say come stepping into a new role it's a big challenge, but it's something that I'm willing to face. I'm having to put together items for our silent auction, our live auction, uh, securing the auctioneer, securing the venue, putting together the menu, uh, securing donations, finding sponsors. And I definitely don't think it's something easy. That's easy because um, this finding one sponsor, it's like finding someone that will give you $20,000. And it's like, take that, but our goal is to raise $250,000. And I'm like, huh, in four months? 
So it's definitely something that I, I think that it's a big role to fill, but it's the, the challenge is something I'm willing to step up to. And uh, I really appreciate being here. And I feel like as I'm striving to work towards the gala, I'm realizing like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I've connected with these people. I've secured these donations. I'm like, okay, cool. What's next? Awesome. So if somebody listening out there is looking to start a nonprofit, where would they start? I mean, like, honestly, do they start with a gala? Do they start with just raising money? Do they start with making a connection with, you know, the country that they're they're trying to support? I mean, there's so many different areas. Where does somebody start when they're, they're looking to start something like this? Definitely. I think that the way that Ngozi was uh, started is not the conventional way to go about it. I definitely think that getting involved in whatever it is that you're interested in. So I think if you're involved in or you're wanting to start a nonprofit, I would find other nonprofits that resemble whatever it is that you would want to do. And I feel like even in this case, uh, Ngozi was founded because we were able to work with another nonprofit that had already had that structure. And I Mm -hmm. think even like any other venture, it's really learning the environment, having the ability to see firsthand what's going on, identifying the problems. Because a lot of the time, you could really think that something is an issue in a certain area. And then when you actually ask the people, that's not what they need and that's not what they would identify mm. as a problem. So I definitely think immersing yourself in the sector and the industry, finding local nonprofits that do whatever it is that you're trying to seek. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's basically, you know, making connections and kind of learning as you go to kind of tumble everything together into an idea that people will buy into. It's just, I mean, to me, it sounds a lot easier than starting a, your own track team at Sonoma state. So this, <laughs> this must be simple for you. Okay, no big deal. No I'm big deal. for a challenge. <laughs> wow. Very cool. So in the journey at Ngozi, is, is there any moment in time where you have to pivot to something different or new, maybe an approach that you have to modify? You mentioned the desks already, which I think is a great, example of that but is there any other example or a story that you can think of yeah or you mentioned something else about like um you you thought you wanted to donate one thing but then you realized they needed something else yeah definitely i would say even covid i feel like covid's just been a reoccurring problem for me but i feel like as that's going on i'm literally planning for a hybrid event so it's finding a platform that where we can host figuring out how the user experience will be how to bring this vision to life literally through a webcam. And so I think that that's something that I'm really working on is just figuring out how to make things work and how to have a backup plan. Because like I said before, that if there is a second pandemic, we still need to have this event. We've already planned for having the event. We've already hired all the people and how can we bring that vision to life? Yeah. Amazing. Very cool. Well, that's good. Well, I I think for me, the big takeaway I'm hearing from you is just how your personal life experiences prepared you for this moment. And then goes, you know, whether it's, you know, pushing through the challenges of being an athlete in a minority in a, in a small community or building your own athletic program. It's all about pushing through obstacles and doubt and challenge and getting yourself to a position where you can really help others and be successful in, in that respect. Um, so I, I love all that. Um, I think any, any big takeaways for the audience that you want to leave, um, as we transition, uh, and close out our podcast today? 
Yeah, I would definitely say as um, no matter how far off something may seem, I think everybody always has some type of life experience that has prepared them for a challenge. And so it's just really looking into your past and digging out what can help you. Because as I mentioned before, uh, I'm the first of three children. I'm the oldest. So everything was kind of put on me. And so learning how to navigate the waters of what I wanted to do with my future, I feel like having that same mentality and that mindset is kind of what is helping me through the same positions. Like, yes, I don't know, but I know that if you do need help, there's resources out there. Um, I know that I have support. And so having my aunt and there are other volunteers that are there for me, there's just really utilizing your network, uh, using your experience and leveraging I would say leveraging any connection that you have because even as I am here I'm using connections that I made in college I'm using connections that I made in grad school I'm reaching out to people that I know that are in certain industries that can help us out with different things so yeah your network is your net worth exactly. right okay. <laughs> okay sensei take it easy over there <laughs> very good well, you know, as we close out the podcast, special thank you to you and, of course, your aunt, um, Inez, and the amazing vision she had and also the connection to you. But is there, I know you're involved with a lot of different things, uh, even outside of Ngozi. Um, would you mind maybe just mentioning any other things we should be looking out for uh, from you? And then, of course, um, any great way that we can find out more about Ngozi, a website or a contact. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like started out in college where I'm just having a busy schedule. And I feel like it's not me if I'm not, I don't have my hands in a lot of pots, but I'm actually still training for track and I'm a Mexican citizen. So the goal is to continue training and be able to be a part of the Mexican national team. And another big thing that I'm working on is building a beauty tech platform that revolutionizes the way that black women experience beauty. So as I mentioned, growing up in Napa, um, I feel like my experience in consuming beauty and a lot of other things was slightly different. A lot of the times people didn't have the knowledge to help me find the resources, the products that I needed. And so I just, I'm excited to be working on that platform to centralize the black beauty experience and to hear more, learn more about it. You can visit our website at www.exolosangelesbeauty.com. And sounds like you guys are pretty legit. I mean, you were telling me Sephora, Nordstrom. Yeah. I mean, those are some pretty, pretty big time names that you guys are partnering with. A lot of connections to a lot of big brands. So definitely will help us as we're getting ready to front maze. Awesome. I love it. And uh, for anyone that wants to research Ngozi and maybe donate or learn more about it, or maybe your upcoming gala, whether it's virtual or in person, is there a good website that they can go to for that information? Yeah, it's www.ngozi.org, and that's N-G-O-Z-I.org. Amazing. Well, Angelique, awesome. thank you so much. It's been a fun time here on Kick Push Pivot, and we look forward to, to keeping in touch and um, hearing more. Awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, Pete, or anyone else listening, but I am fired up right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're both fired up. Like, we can do this. Yeah, we can go. do it. Let's go. <laughs> Love it. Very inspirational. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Angelique. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time.
Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at KPP Podcast. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone who would make a great guest, feel free to reach out. Hope to see you next time.